are starting a brand new series. Pastor's starting a new series called Honorable. And uh, it's really an important topic because if you've been alert at all over the past few years especially, you'll know that we've become a culture that is increasingly dishonoring of people. Uh, dishonoring in a lot of different ways. And it's really important for us to be honoring people. And it's a very important value of your pastor. Uh, he always wants to give honor to whom honor is due. He wants to have a culture of honor where people are honored and we don't just dishonor one another. And it's one of those topics where sometimes it feels like, okay, yeah, we're supposed to honor each other, but we really don't realize or think about the importance, the power of what honor does when you give honor to someone else or what happens when someone gives honor to you. You love it when someone gives you honor. It does something internally in you and there's a dynamic that comes into play when you feel the honor that someone else gives you. And the same is true when you give honor to someone else. There's a dynamic that comes into play that will never exist if you don't give honor. And so I wanna go to the foundational verse for our series, 1 Peter 2, 17. And before I read these words, I want to give you a little bit of the background because the Apostle Peter is right now, he's the guy that was in jail, I mentioned a minute ago, that had the angelic jailbreak. This is Peter, and he's writing, but he's writing to people who are being persecuted. If you know anything about first century history over you know, the Roman Empire and so forth, Nero is the emperor. Nero was not a good guy. Nero was the guy who was known for persecuting Christians. When he wanted to create a political diversion, he would blame the Christians for something. So he starts fires in Rome, and he blames the Christians for starting the fires. When he, he got so evil and wicked and just horrendously persecuting that he actually would take Christians and he would cover them in pitch, and then they would set them on fire, and they would use those burning humans to light his parties. That's the kind of person that Nero was. As a matter of fact, uh, I recently was, uh, read a dissertation someone did on how the apostles actually died, and there's all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of rumor going around that Peter actually was crucified, and he was crucified upside down and so forth. And, and actually, there's a good deal, I think, more evidence that Peter might have actually, instead of being crucified upside down, he might have been one of those burning humans to light Nero's fire. So Nero could have his party. That is one wicked man. That's the guy who's in charge. And Peter is writing to people who are not in Rome, but still they're in the Roman Empire and they're Christians and they're being persecuted, but they're about to be persecuted more. Nero hasn't gotten as bad yet as he's going to get, but he's pretty bad. And it's about to get really bad. And Peter writes these words to these Christians and he says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, Fear God, and the last one, honor the king. And I can imagine that a few years after he wrote those words, I can imagine someone looking back thinking, are you kidding me? Honor the king, the guy who wants to kill me just because I hold the faith that I hold? Peter writes that, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We need to know what honor is for a couple reasons. One, because God commands us to honor. He does it right there. And there's other places in scripture that reference it as well. But the second reason is that reflects his character. We think of how Jesus behaved even when he was being persecuted and ultimately led to the cross. He wasn't a dishonoring person. He spoke truth, but he wasn't a dishonoring person. The character of God is not to treat people lesser than. The character of God is to give honor to people. And God wants us to know what honor is. And he wants us to do it because it's reflective of his character. And to honor someone is to give weight or deep respect to them. To give weight or deep respect. It's, it's giving respect or reverence for something that we esteem to the highest degree, the highest level. It is, it is this. It's treating other people with dignity because they're creatures made in the image of God. That's why we honor people. They're creatures made in the image of God. And we're called to honor all people, not only because of that, but also the gospel is for all people. It isn't just for one group, it isn't just for a certain people, it isn't just for a sliver of humanity. The gospel is for all people. And I'll tell you what, honor opens the door to people receiving the gospel. It really does. Let me tell you what honor is not, though, before we even get out of the gate, because when I talk about honoring all people, and that's where we're going to focus this morning, is honoring all people, 
I want to just talk a little bit about what honor is not. Honor is not an endorsement of everything everybody does. That is not an endorsement of everything everyone does. If I give honor to someone because they hold a position or an office or whatever, uh, me giving honor isn't an endorsement for everything that they do. It's not an endorsement of their behavior. It's a recognition of the image of God in them, and it's obeying what he told me to do. It is not endorsing stuff. You know, and I think of honoring someone doesn't negate the need for boundaries. You know, sometimes there needs to be boundaries. People have been in abusive situations, whether it's for parents or a spouse or whatever. There's a way that you can give honor to people without tearing down those boundaries, without getting rid of things that need to be in place. When I talk about honoring all people, I'm not talking about acting like stuff that people do doesn't matter or doesn't have consequences. It's not what I'm talking about. But honor instead recognizes there may need to be distance sometime, or I know that this happened, but I'm going to choose to give you honor in an appropriate way anyway. It is not necessarily giving people what their behavior deserves, but every time you honor someone, you are expressing the grace of God to them. So as we talk about honoring, whether it's all people or whoever, political leaders, however we're talking about that, just understand, honor is not endorsing, blessing people is not endorsing what they do. It is obeying what Jesus told us to do. It's reflecting his character and it's treating them with the grace that he would treat them with as well. And we're gonna look at a passage of scripture in John chapter four, where Jesus has an interaction with a woman and this woman is defined by everything but her name. Her name is never given. She is known as the Samaritan woman or a Samaritan woman. She has nothing she can offer Jesus. And we're going to see a little bit about her background. If you just read her background, you would say that is a person who's not going to be honored by anyone. But Jesus has an interaction with her. And he treats her with such honor and with such dignity. And it's instructive for us because it shows us what it looks like to treat someone else with honor. So I wanna to go to John chapter four, and I'm gonna start at verse four, and we're gonna read through it, and then we're gonna come back, and we're just gonna kind of unpack some of the different parts of it, and we're gonna see how Jesus treated her with honor, because it's instructive for us as well. John chapter four, verse four. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now the words had to, let me just stop right there. He didn't have to go through uh, because it was the only way to go. It was, he was up in the north. He was headed through to the south, I believe. And he could have gone around uh, uh, Samaria and so forth, but he chooses not to do that. When it says he had to go through Samaria, John has a way of writing. When he says that Jesus had to do something, he means it was God's will that he did it. He had to do it, not because there wasn't another way to go. He had to do it because that's what his heavenly father was up to that day. Go through Samaria, there's something that you have to do. Verse five, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. You could go to that well to this day, it's still there. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now this is going to be a very, uh, this is a very sketchy interaction. If you were just a Samaritan person or, or a religious Jew in that day, this was, he was totally breaking all kinds of rules. Jesus says, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman replied, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, 
Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I know that those are a lot of verses and there's a whole lot packed in there, but Jesus does some things in this passage of scripture that show us what honor looks like and what honor does in the hearts and lives of people. And we're going to unpack what he did as we look at this passage. As I was looking at this, I was thinking of over the weekend, my wife and I spent the weekend uh, watching Christmas movies, you know, Hallmark Christmas romance. All of you guys are excited when I say that. You just want to rush home and watch them right now. Hallmark, um, Amazon Prime, all of that stuff. So that's what we were doing. And in fact, that's what I was doing Friday night when Michigan was not playing football. <laughs> go ahead. Go. I know. I know. All the Spartans are clapping, and there's one. Jeez. It's just like desecrating the house of God. My goodness. There are a couple of Buckeyes in the room who shall remain nameless. Mm. That's even worse. That's even worse. Wow, I'm sorry. So, uh, actually, I don't have ESPN. So my wife and I, so that's the, but I wasn't really missing anything. If you watch the game, you know. My sons and I all text together about the game, and there were about four texts, and then it was done. We were all on to our movies. That's it. When a Hallmark movie is better than a Michigan game, you know it's not good. So, I'm sorry. Don't show this to anybody in Ann Arbor. I'm sorry. So we're watching, we watch these movies together, and all the movies have the same plot. You know what the plot is. You got two people are going to fall in love, et cetera, et cetera, you know, but... But they're often crafted around this idea of like there's somebody who, especially the ones where like somebody pretends that there's something they're not, you know, they're, they pretend to be in with one group of people and they're just pretending maybe I'm pretending to be his wife or her husband or her whatever. So they pretend something for so long and then about an hour and 40 minutes into it, they get exposed for not being what they said that they were. Look, y'all are thinking of different movies that fall right into that category. So they get exposed for not being part of the group, and then the romance ends, and they don't kiss, which they tried to kiss like three or four times earlier, but it always gets interrupted. Somebody walks in, you know. So they never got to kiss. The, 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 the poser got exposed for being a poser, and then they're going to leave, and it's all over, but somebody chases someone down at the airport or whatever, and they make it through the snowstorm and the blizzard, and everything, they get to the airport just before the person gets on the plane. Do I have this down good? They catch him. Look at Doris. She's like, yeah, you got it, man. They get him just before they get on the plane. And, oh, I love you. It's okay. It's wonderful. And then, and then they look and the family is there saying, we welcome you. You know, you can be a part of our family too. And then at an hour and 58 or sometimes an hour and 59 minutes, they finally kiss. And the sleigh bells in the background and the music and all. Yeah, look at that. Did I just, did I satisfy your movie need today? I got it. I got it. Yeah. That's what we spent our weekend watching, you know. But it's, but it's really true that uh, when you, you watch those things, it kind of relates to a little bit of what Jesus does because we're like the posers. You know, we're something, we're trying to pretend we're something that we're really not and we're really not worthy of whatever honor it is. But then Jesus comes and he treats us with honor anyway. And he comes and welcomes us in. So that's what Jesus is doing with this woman at the well. 
the Samaritan woman, whose name we never know, he treats her with such honor and dignity that she gets welcomed in. Because we love it when the person gets the gift, they get to be part of the family, they get what they don't deserve or whatever. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's giving her honor that she probably doesn't deserve, that she probably doesn't get, and he welcomes her into his family. And we need to hear this because, listen, some of us, we're going to look at how Jesus honored her, and some of us have been dishonored in the very ways that Jesus honors. The very areas that he touches of her life, we've been dishonored in some of those ways. And some of us have dishonored other people in those very same ways. And we need to reflect on our own hearts. Even if we're following Jesus, are we dishonoring other people like this? Do we have blind spots in our lives where we're giving dishonor instead of honor? And I just want to cover a few things that Jesus does and what what honor does. First of all, honor transcends status. Honor transcends status. In verses seven and nine, I'm just gonna reread it briefly. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone. She said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. First of all, just as a woman in that era, she would have been considered lesser. She would have been considered uh, someone who, because it was a very patriarchal culture, it was men and it was women, but men were clearly in charge. She would have been considered lesser and probably treated uh, less honorably anyway, just by reason of her gender. And it wasn't because the fact that Jesus is sitting there talking to her indicates that that was never God's intention. God's intention was never that there would be a lesser. You get to the New Testament and you see Jesus saying things through the Apostle Paul like, there's neither male nor female in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is talking to her, treating her with honor and dignity because he knows that she's part of a a patriarchal culture that has taken religious law to a zealous extreme. And as a result, there was a hierarchical structure that was never supposed to be in place. She would have been treated lesser just because of that. Her marital history would have reduced her status further. You know, he talks about you've been married five times and the guy that you're living with now is not your own. And a lot of people say, well, she must have been a horribly immoral woman. She's just leaving one guy and marrying another and leaving him and marrying another. Well, maybe she was doing that. But it also, in fact, I think it's probably more likely that she was either divorced by her husbands or she was repeatedly widowed. It's, she did not, she would, as a woman, she would not have had the ability to just go out, get a job, support herself. She needs to be with a man in that culture because he provides for her. And I think she probably is in the place that she is, has no fault of her own, really. And so there she is, her, irrespective of how she got there, whether she repeatedly left other guys or she was left or she was widowed, it doesn't matter. What does matter is that she still would have been treated with shame because of that status that she had. And as a Samaritan woman with her history, Jesus pushes past her status and he honors her by engaging her in conversation. He treats her with dignity because by religious law of that time, he shouldn't have said anything to her at all. And yet he talks to her. He doesn't care what her status is. He recognizes, I'm the creator. I created you and I treat you with honor and with dignity. Honor transcends status. Other different measures of status in our day, there's, there's finances. You know, you can be a, a richer person and that kind of gives you a financial status in life. Uh, there can be gender stuff. You know, if you think that we don't have some of these same issues in our day, I mean, our country and our cultures come a long way in a lot of things, but we can still fall right back into some of these very same things. Uh, very often we think we're more advanced than we really are sometimes. We can create status issues by reason of gender. We can certainly do it by race. We can do it by education. Someone's more educated, so they presume they're higher than someone else because they're less educated. Could be employment position. I mean, they're bosses and employees and business owners and employees and so forth. Popularity, even if it's not a position deal, boy, people being part of the in crowd. I was not part of the in crowd uh, when I was in high school. Um, I wasn't, you know, Put upon or persecuted, but there's definitely that this is the popular group, this is the not popular group. I've never gone to a, to a class reunion, by the way, because all the people I never wanted to hang out with in the popular group, that's all the people that went to the... I looked on Facebook, who's going to the class reunion? That's all the people I do not want to hang out with. 
So then here's what the sassy side of me does. Because they post all the pictures on Facebook from class reunion. And I look and I'm like, yeah, you thought you were really something. I'll take a look at you. I'm not going to. I know. I got so many sassy things. I'm sorry, Bernadette. I got so many sassy things. My wife's like, dude, just don't, don't. You know, but there are different status levels that we can even artificially create. And sometimes status is as much in a person's mind as it is in reality, because really, it really is true. Some people have more money than others. You know, some people have a higher position of employment, uh, a greater position of political power, or whatever the case may be. Sometimes people just create their own status in their minds. You know, you know those people who are legends in their own minds? Those are the people that go to my class reunions, by the way. <laughs> those people that are... If you went to school with me, I'm not talking about you, clearly, not you. But you've known those people. I, my wife and I love the song, You're So Vain. That's a great song. I did, my kids don't know it, you know, because I'm too old. But You're So Vain, such a great song about somebody who thinks it's all about them. And every time you sing that song, there's someone that comes to your mind, you're thinking, this song was for that person. That person, they're legends in their own mind. And the thing about people who are legends in their own mind, they think they are the most important, best person in any room they walk into. What they don't realize is everybody in the room knows that they're a legend in their own mind. So they think they're better than everybody else, but the people they think they're better than, they're not buying it because they know you're so vain, you probably think everything is about you. We can create our own little status things in our mind where we exalt ourselves and we don't need to be exalting ourselves. But can I flip it? Sometimes the status thing gets flipped where if you're a person who has less, that you dishonor people who have more. I know that's, um, that may be a tough thing to say, but it, it can be very true where you think, hey, you know what, I'm in, a, I'm in a place where I can say you mistreat other people because of your status, but we can flip the coin, and if we're in a presumably lower position, we can give dishonor to people who are presumably in a higher status spot. Jesus calls all of us to treat each other with honor, to transcend the status deal, and to treat each other with honor. Honor moves past the status. It recognizes the image of God and dignity in everyone and treats them like it. You know, James, James says God opposes the proud but gives grace and favor to the humble. You know, if you read the book of James, James spends this section of the book talking about, listen, if someone shows up in your church and they roll up in a Tesla and they got the nice clothes and all that stuff, I say Tesla for Pastor Jeremiah because my car died recently and he said, dude, you should buy a Tesla. So he picked out... He picked out a $109,000 car for me to buy. I did not buy a Tesla, by the way, not even close. So some guy, you know, if the guy rolls up in a Tesla and he's got all the, the, the right shoes and clothes and all the rest of that stuff and all the money, don't bring him into your church and put him in the front row and make all the poorer people sit in the back row. Don't do that kind of stuff because God does not show favoritism. And then he gets to chapter four in James and he says, listen, God opposes you proud people who think you are up here, but he gives favor and grace to humble people. And in Philippians chapter two, Paul is writing and he actually addresses this issue and he says, you wanna show honor? You wanna treat people right? Have the same attitude on your relationships that Jesus had. He was God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, but he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. That needs to be the attitude that we take so that status doesn't become the issue, but honoring each other is the issue instead. So we gotta ask ourselves, are we treating people lesser than? Are we treating people with dishonor, failing to give honor? Are you the person who's created your own legend in your own mind? Do I exalt myself in my mind that I can treat other people lesser or fail to give them honor? Because honor transcends status, and we need to imitate the example of Jesus. That's the first thing that honor does. The second thing honor does is it transcends not only status, honor transcends culture, and we see it in Jesus. And we draw it from the same verses that I just read. That last little line, I'm not going to put it up here, but that last little line, it's a parenthetical statement that John makes when he says, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman, but Jews do not associate with, they don't use the same stuff or whatever as Samaritans. Now let me give you just a little bit of history of why this is. So in the Old Testament, 
you may recall that God has this people, he moves them into the land of promise, and when they get in there to the land of Canaan, the land of promise, they're one nation, and he gives them a king, King Saul. He fails miserably as a king. God removes him, and he puts David in, in his place. David was the greatest king Israel ever had. David eventually is going to move off the scene. He passes the kingship on to his son Solomon and so forth. And eventually you get to Solomon and his children and there's such bad leadership that the kingdom splits in two. There was a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. They had been one kingdom, but now they're split into two separate nations. And in the northern part, there was the area of Samaria. And Samaria uh, at one time was even the capital of, that, of the northern kingdom. But eventually, both kingdoms fell because they refused to walk in obedience to God and God allows judgment to come. The northern kingdom falls, eventually the southern kingdom falls. When the northern kingdom falls, some of those Jewish people in the northern kingdom were taken off by the people who conquered them, but not all of the Jews left. And in Jewish history, sometimes you read in the Old Testament, you may wonder, why is it there? God, on different occasions, says, hey, I don't want you to marry people of other races, and there's a reason for that. It isn't because one race is superior to another or God is endorsing any kind of racism. What it is, is God knows this. God knows that his people are worshiping him, Yahweh. And if they marry this other people group, he doesn't have a problem with the, with the ethnic intermarrying. He has a problem with the religious intermarrying because they worship false gods over here. You worship the true God, Yahweh. And if you marry those people, then you're gonna start worshiping like they do and you're gonna become an idolater. That was in Israel's history. So it's not about racial superiority, it's about trying to be pure worshipers of Yahweh. When the northern kingdom falls, some of the Jews are carried off, some of them stay there. Eventually, other non-Jewish people, colonists, move in and they start to intermarry with the Samaritan people. So now you've got people who have intermarried and they are now worshiping false gods. So the people, the Jewish people who had been worshiping Yahweh, they're still worshiping Yahweh, but they add this idol, that idol, another idol, and now their worship has become mixed and it's become false. And their bloodline has become impure because of their false worship. And that's why the Jews don't associate with the Samaritans because look at what those people did. They intermarried, they messed up their religion, and so we don't want anything to do with those people. So Jesus is traveling in the, along this line and he goes through Samaria and it's, they would avoid going to Samaria if they could because of that reason. We don't want to intermix with those people. And the Jews didn't like the Samaritans and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews either. So there was a time when Jesus says to his disciples, would you go get something ready for me? They had to go into Samaria and they get verbally chewed out. They get berated by the Samaritans because the Samaritans didn't like the Jews either. I mean, there was bad blood between these two. And the Samaritans were very uh, what's in it for me type of an approach to the Jewish people. So when it, when it was good for them to be Jewish, they would highlight the Jewish side of them because it would give them some financial gain. When it wasn't so good, they would downplay their Jewish side and they'd play up whatever the other ethnic side of them was um, that was in their line. And so there's this tension that goes between them. As a matter of fact, there's a great line. I love James and John in the New Testament. Jesus calls them the sons of thunder right? And the reason he calls them the sons of thunder uh, is because of the Samaritans. So the Samaritans are giving Jesus and his disciples a hard time. And James and John are like, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy these people right now? I love that line because that would be me. It really would. I mean, I know that's not nice, but it's like, okay, Jesus, I've had, can we just call down fire? and That'll teach them. That's the Samaritans. That's why James and John became known as the sons of thunder because of that bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so Jesus talks to this Samaritan woman who comes from a background where their worship is mixed. They're false gods that they've worshiped in the past. They've mixed stuff up. They've changed some religious things we'll talk about in a moment. And Jesus chooses to not hold her culture against her. He doesn't think, you know what? You're intermarried Samaritan. You're part Jew, but you're part something else. You're not pure whatever, so I'm not gonna talk to you. I'm gonna focus on the pure Jews, and I'm gonna preach to them. Jesus doesn't do that at all. He purposefully goes to Samaria. He blows aside her status, and he pushes aside her culture as well, and he chooses to speak to her and honor her, despite the fact that the rest of his countrymen wouldn't have had anything to do with these Samaritans. 
And we've got the same kind of stuff on our own day. I mean, everyone knows that the United States has a, has a racial history. We've come a million miles, but if you think racial stuff is ever going to stop anywhere in the world, it's not going to. Until Jesus comes back and brings this age to a close, the sinful nature in people is going to continue to do things like the Jews and Samaritans were doing to each other. It will continue to happen, but as God's people, we cannot be walking that out. We've got to transcend, by way of honor, transcend people's culture. You know, there is racial separation, ethnic hostility. There still is. I can remember, I grew up at Central Wesleyan Church, great church, love it to this day. I'll always be grateful for what they've sown in my life. Uh, so I was in high school back in the day. I'm not going to talk about what years it was. We did have electricity. I say that for the group of people over there, you know. Um, so we're on this music ministry trip, and one day I sat in the front of the bus. There was a big, long school bus that we used to travel in, because there were a lot of us, 68, 60, 80 of us, whatever. And so we had a couple of buses we were traveling in, and I sat in the very front of one of the buses, and my friends, there was this girl who was a friend of mine, we went to high school together, and we were at the same church and so forth. Her mom sits down right next to me, I'm in the very front seat in the bus, and she looks at me and she says, this was her opening line, she says, all my life I've hated black people. And I'm thinking, we're off to a bad start here with this whole, can I, can I move, I, I mean, the sassy side of me is like, that's the day when I wanted to sit in the back of the bus. You know, can I just go back there, get away from you, because this is not good. But that's not where she was going. She says, all my life I've hated black people. And I'm thinking, you know, what do I do? And she says, and then my daughter started hanging out with you. And at first, I didn't know what to think about all that, you know. But then, the little gang of us that hung out together, she said, then you all would come over to the house and you'd hang out. And she said, and I'd just watch you. And I began to realize that all of those things that my parents told me about black people were not true. And she says, seeing you interact with my daughter changed my heart. And I was like, oh. I mean, that was a powerful moment. I was cool after that. You know, for the first few minutes, I was like, this is going to be a long bus ride. <laughs> but I'm telling you, people, there's stuff that can come down through our lines. And even in 2022, there are things that have been handed down where people have cultural hangups and we treat people with dishonor just because of those cultural hangups. And probably a whole lot of them aren't even true. And it's not just racial, ethnic things as well. It could be other things as well. We can make assumptions about people's culture because of the career choice that they've made. Maybe their church, their, the church affiliation that they had. Before I ever came to Grand Rapids first, one of my friends who went to another church said, man, you're going to go visit First Assembly. Back in the day, it was called First Assembly. You're going to go visit First Assembly? Man, those people are weird. And I'm looking at him thinking, have you paid attention in your own church? You people are strange, you know. But seriously, those people thought you people were weird, you know. Uh, and we create these things in our minds where th that's a weird church culture. That, those people that have that job, they're all like fill in the blank. Those people, of, or we can do it generationally too. Those people in that generation, the boomers, the builders, the, the Gen Xers, those millennials, those whatever, there are things we can do culturally that even go beyond someone's ethnicity where we don't show honor or we show outright dishonor because of the cultural assumption that we've made. And Jesus totally transcends that with this woman. And he says, I don't care what your cultural background is. I'm going to treat you with honor. I'm going to treat you with dignity. I don't care what it is. Because the character and nature of Jesus, the character and nature of God is to give honor to people. So honor transcends people's status. It transcends people's culture. But it also transcends people's beliefs as well. It transcends their beliefs. I want to camp here for just a moment because there's a lot of this stuff going on in our day. In verses 9 through 24, I'm just going to reread it very quickly because I want to unpack it just a little bit. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain. Now, here's what she means. The Samaritans were close. Samaria was close to Mount Gerizim. There's a mountain there. Now, if you remember your biblical history, if you're new to, to reading the Bible, you may not know this, but the Jews had their temple in Jerusalem, and that was the center point of their worship. It was the most holy place 
Uh, it's where everything big happened was in Jerusalem at the temple. The Samaritans have now changed what they believe. They've mixed their religion with other things. And so they built a rival temple on Mount Gerizim or very close to Mount Gerizim. And so she's saying, we think you should worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time's coming when you'll worship the Father neither here nor there. Uh, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. And he gets around to saying, ultimately, we're going to be united in the spirit and we're going to worship in the spirit and in truth. So there is a belief deal that's going on here that is huge in Jesus's day. So the Samaritans had the same beliefs previously as the Jewish people did, but they changed it. So they build this temple on Mount Gerizim to rival the temple in Jerusalem. They get rid of all the rest of the books of the Old Testament except for the first five books, uh, the Torah. That's what they believed. And there were other things that they held to as well. And so they changed their belief in stuff. And so he had these two similar but different enough religions and they're just going at each other. They're doing it ethnically. They're doing it culturally. They're doing it religiously in terms of what it is that they believe. And what's interesting is uh, this woman turns the conversation into, hey, let's talk about religion. Let's talk about religious law. She wants to know religious law, but Jesus wants her to know a person. And so while she turns it into, okay, I can see that you're a prophet. Let's talk about this, Jew, this Jerusalem Gerizim issue. Jesus is like, no, I don't want to talk about that. You're interested in knowing about who's right in the religious argument. I'm interested in you understanding that I want to give you the Holy Spirit. And when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not going to matter what place you're worshiping, but you will worship together, unified in the Holy Spirit. So his honor transcended her belief because if the rest of the pure Jews down in Jerusalem heard what he was saying, they would want to crucify him all the more, but he totally transcends what it is that she believes. He goes beyond her little religious argument and he's getting to the heart of what he wants, not just for her, but for everyone. I want everyone to be able to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And that will be the thing that unifies and gives us the ability to honor one another. Jesus totally transcends the belief deal. Now, it's a little bit different for us. We've got, we live in a day when, you know, in, in, in that context, there were not like a bunch of, there wasn't a Christian Reformed church on this corner in Jerusalem and a Baptist church or whatever. It was just what it was. It was just the Jewish religion. There were other religions too, but that was the predominant one. But in our day, there are all kinds, especially in the United States, where we are highly individualistic and I can eat where I want, shop where I want, vote for who I want, whatever, and we all can have an opinion and we all have free speech and all those things which are great, but there can also be a bad side to some of those things where we take those things as well. I mean, in our day, I, f I feel bad sometimes for Pastor Sam as he's trying to pastor because especially with pandemic stuff coming up, we got people who are mad because you made me wear a face mask to my seat. We have people who are mad because you didn't make me wear a face mask. We have people who are mad because this one's vaxxed or this one's not vaxxed or whatever. And there's all kinds of stuff going on and it's okay that everybody has their different opinions and so forth. But the reality is, is that Jesus says at some point you've got to transcend belief and you've got to move to honoring one another irrespective of what it is that people believe. You are not... You are not going to win people to your position by treating them with dishonor. So I watch sometimes, particularly on social media, and I see there's some great things, there's some funny things, there's some great connections. It's a great way to stay in touch. I love a certain side of it. But there's another side of it where I've actually had to unfriend people. And here's the sad part. It isn't people who don't follow Jesus that I've had to unfriend. It's the Jesus followers I've had to unfriend because they can't give honor and transcend what somebody believes. Instead, they call them names and they just down talk them. And that doesn't open up any conversation at all. It closes everything off. But Jesus says, I'm gonna to totally transcend what it is you believe. And I want you to meet a person rather than just adopt a belief. You can just parrot the words that I say, but that's not what I want. I wanna totally transcend what it is that you believe, blow past and give you honor. And when I do that, Something's gonna happen. It's gonna change the dynamic in the relationship. Now listen, I wanna say something here. Jesus is not saying, I'm okay, you're okay. He's not saying, you can believe what you want. That's okay, doesn't matter. He, he still believes in truth. He still holds the truth. He doesn't change what he believes. 
It doesn't mean that we have to change what we believe in order to honor someone or that we just have to endorse everything everyone says or does. It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is I may want them to change the way they think. I may think it would be better if they did whatever, but the door to their heart is gonna come by reason of me showing someone honor, not berating someone and treating them with dishonor because we believe two different things. That never does anything good. You never go anywhere with that. Debate is fine. Devaluing is not. Because what we do is we leverage language now to destroy people. So if I don't like what you said or whatever, I can call you out for being a, you name it, whatever ist you want to put, a misogynist, a whatever ist you want to put on it, and I can totally destroy your reputation using language to leverage it in such a way that I can destroy you and devalue you instead of just debating you and honoring you while I do it. Because here's the truth, you can win an argument, but you can lose the person. So there are a lot of people winning arguments out there, but they're losing people that they're never gonna regain because they're focused on winning the argument, not on winning the person like Jesus was. He wins the person, but he doesn't let go of truth while he's doing it. But he loves her and gives her dignity. He loves her and gives her dignity. And then the last thing, honor opens the door for ministry. And I was gonna reread this whole passage, but I'm just gonna summarize it for you. Jesus wants to give her living water and then he's, she says, okay, I want it because she's thinking water. But he's thinking Holy Spirit water. And then she says, give me the water. So he says, go get your husband. She says, don't have one. He says, you're right. And he reads her mail prophetically right in front of her. You've had five. The one you've got is not your own. And then she says, I perceive that you are a prophet and so forth. And they have this interaction because Jesus has shown her honor to this point. She's willing to listen to what it is he has to say so that when he finally says this line to her, I've got living water for you, because of his willingness to treat her with honor, her heart is open and she says, yes, I want the living water. And then he takes it a little bit further and he prophetically unpacks her life and her response is, oh my goodness, you really are the Messiah. Verse 28 uh, in John 4 says, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That's such a great line. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Listen, because he treated her with honor and respect and dignity and totally pushed aside all of the Jewish religious stuff that would have hindered his interaction with her, her heart is open to receive the ministry he had to give to her. If he had not treated her with honor, I don't think he ever would have gotten to the place where he could even tell her, hey, I know about your marital history. I know about what your life's been like. But because of the honor he gives her, her heart is open. And then she's like, oh my goodness, you really must be the Messiah. And she's got to run and tell other people. And what happens later in the, in the chapter in verse 39, it says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of her testimony. When the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and more and more people believed in him. Why did that happen? It happened because the God of the universe sat down at a well at noon and talked to a woman who everybody else in her area was dishonoring. She was alone at that well because no one liked her and no one wanted to be with her because of her history. And Jesus sits down and talks to her. And he doesn't care what her status is and he doesn't care what her culture is and where she's been or what she's done. He treats her with honor and dignity. And as a result, not only does her heart open, but the hearts of all the rest of the people open because she goes and tells the story. You won't believe how this guy talked with me. You won't believe how this guy treated me. Listen, I see Pastor Eric sitting on the front row, he, front row overseeing City Serve. That's why we do city serve. It's a way where you can go and treat someone with honor because the ultimate thing that honor brings is the opening of a heart to the gospel of Jesus. Now it does more than that. And I don't want us to honor people just to try to leverage something and maybe I can get a little spiritual notch in my belt or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. But Jesus calls you to reach and touch other people. And when you honor people, it opens their heart to receive ministry. It opens their heart to be willing to say, if those people will treat me like that, I want to hear what they have to say. If those people will treat me like that, I'm going to have to go check out what that church is like. 
If we are dishonoring people, I can tell you, it doesn't take much dishonoring for people to say, if that's what that person is like, that's what all of Jesus' people are like, I don't want anything to do with that. But you never know how your willingness to treat a person with honor will not only change that person's heart and begin to reorient their thinking, but to reorient the thinking of the people that are around them. You never know the influence you have when you choose to operate with honor. When you came in the doors of the, of the building today, you were given the communion elements. And you know, Jesus says you watch his ministry. He treated people with honor all the time. Whether it was Matthew, the tax collector, that he invites to become one of his followers. He has food at his house. He treats him with honor, and the religious leaders are like, oh my goodness, how can you do that? Jesus was always treating people with honor. Whenever people were unclean, he would walk right up to them. He'd minister to them. He'd touch the lepers. He'd do things that other people wouldn't do, always extending honor to people and always bringing about heart change when he did it. But the greatest way that he ever treated people with honor was by dying for us. It's the greatest way he ever gave honor to us because I can tell you, we did not deserve it. It wasn't something that we were worthy of at all, but Jesus says, I'm gonna transcend everything, including your sin, and I'm actually gonna take it on me, and I'm gonna honor you by doing that, and because Jesus does that, we have the ability to have eternal life. We have the ability to have relationship with him, which is ultimately what he's about. I want you to take these communion elements, if you will. And when Jesus died for us and extended us the ability to have relationship with him, he doesn't just give us the ability to have eternal life. There's so much wrapped up in the death of Jesus. There's so much wrapped up in what it is that he did for us. I want you to take, just pull back that wrapper on the top and I want you to take this little wafer. Just represents his body. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Isaiah 53 talks about the body of Jesus prophetically. It says he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on him. And with the stripes that he received, we are healed. Jesus treats you with honor today. And one of the things that he does is he says, I want to honor you by extending to you my healing hand. So I know there are people in the balcony. I know that there are people down here. I'm just going to let you stay seated. You don't need to stand up. But if you need a healing touch in your body and something, I don't care what it is, just want you to lift your hand up. And uh, if you need a healing touch, just put your hand up there, okay? And, it, and I don't care, listen, I don't care if it's a little cold. You know, I don't care what it is. Jesus cares about the big and what we think is the small because he died for all of it. So I just want you to keep your hand up, just simply right where you are, and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for treating us with honor and dignity, so much so that you would go to a crucifixion cross and die on our behalf. And so much was accomplished in that death. You made a way for us to have relationship with you. You made a way for us to get rid of our sin. You made a way for us to be able to receive so much, including making a way for us to receive your healing power. So I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you would just sweep across this room and would you let your healing touch begin to rest on people all across this room. Whether there's a cold that's going on, whether there's, there are lung issues going on, whether it's diabetes or cancer or heart issues, whether there's mental health issues going on, whatever the case may be, none of it is too big for your healing hand to touch. So right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I speak your healing over your people. Thank you for your body given for us that we might have bodies that are whole. Now would you take the bread now.
peel, peel back that second layer to access the juice. Jesus' body wasn't just given for us. Paul also says that in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup when he was having his last supper with his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The power of Jesus' shed blood did so much for us, including dealing with the sin issues that can so dominate our hearts and lives. And I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward or do anything like that, but I'm gonna ask you just to reflect on your own heart and life. Jesus' blood is powerful enough to break any measure of sin that dominates us. Whatever that thing is in your life today, I don't know what it is and I don't care what it is. Whatever that thing is in your life that you think, man, if I could just move past this, if I could just stop this thing, Jesus treated you with such honor that he shed his blood for you so that those things could be broken and you wouldn't have to deal with them again. So Lord, I just pray right now across this room. I know there are people who have life dominating issues or things that have just nagged them and it feels like they're always falling and giving into the same stuff. It never seems to change, but we want it to change and be different in 2022. So would you apply the power of your shed blood to our hearts and our lives in those areas that seem to have exercised such dominance over us, those areas that just seem to not be able to go away and we feel so powerless, just like we sang, you are our champion. You are the one who died for us. So I ask you now to apply the power of your shed blood and bring release in every area of our lives. We don't do it in our own strength because we have nothing to give. We do it in the strength of the Lord Jesus and what you did for us. So we take this juice in remembrance and we celebrate you breaking it right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Would you drink the cup? Now, Lord, I know that there are those of us in this room, we've been dishonored, just like that woman at Samaria was dishonored. We've been treated lesser than, we've been ostracized, we've been dishonored, we've been cut off. However it manifests itself in our lives, we've been the recipient of that stuff. And I ask, by the power of your shed blood, that you'll begin to bring healing in those areas of our lives that where we have experienced dishonor and rejection and pain, instead we would be received by the Holy Spirit and we'd be able to move past all that stuff. But I also pray for those of us in this room that have dishonored other people in different ways. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us right now and just show us how we have been dishonoring other people and also how we can begin to change the dynamic and begin to honor others. Like I prayed at the beginning, would you give us spiritual ears to hear what it is you're saying, to respond to the power of your word, and to walk out and obey you today. We can't do it in our own strength. We have to do it in your strength. Would you accomplish and apply the power of your word today that we have seen? In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.